Hello, this is Pastor Mo, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Broussard. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these messages. My hope is that this sermon will be a benefit to your spiritual growth and that you will prayerfully take to heart the contents of this week's message. I also encourage you to pull up the accompanying sermon notes and follow along as you listen. If you have any questions or would like to follow up after the sermon, feel free to contact me or our staff here at First Baptist Broussard. May God bless you as we begin this week's sermon. Thank you for the privilege of allowing me to talk twice. Y'all didn't even run me out after the first time. I'm very appreciative and grateful and thankful. You know, yeah, Weldon mentioned that we've known each other for a while, but I don't know if y'all know this, but sometimes when Weldon's not with you, he picks on people. Did y'all know that? No, actually, it's really good. I, I love, uh, I've loved working with Weldon on several different projects and uh, appreciate his support of the convention as well as his work in the association. You know, I, I, I sometimes I forget to remind people that every church is, is you know, we, we, we do have a mission in our community, but we're also part of a larger community working together. And I just so appreciate Weldon and your church's ministry, not only here, but around the world. So thank you for that, and I appreciate that. Well, we're going to be looking at a passage in Acts. So if you want to, if you're one of those people that's got to get to the passage real quick, Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 41 through 47. Uh, we're going to look at those pretty <clears throat> thoroughly. Uh, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit before I get there, but that way you can go ahead and put your thumb where it is, and we'll be looking at that passage in just a moment. But let's pray as we begin this morning. Father, thank you so much for all that you do. I pray that, Father, that you would allow me to step back and, Father, that you would step forward. That every word that is said would not be my word, but your word. My heart would not be shared, but your heart would be shared. And Father, your will will be heard and explained, discovered, and enacted upon. And not my desires, not my plans. For it's all about you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You know, a lot of times we use this term, the term, making disciples. And we, we, we don't really quite understand what that means. We, we've got a lot of words. In case y'all have not noticed this, I can say one word, and it means one thing to one group and something totally different to a different group. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but uh, I, I kind of I follow politics a little bit. And don't worry, I'm not getting into that mud. But, you know, it, it's interesting when I, when I follow this, you know, you'll have one guy say, one word and use it in one description, and then somebody else will interpret it something totally different. Do you understand that whenever the art of communication is designed, I'll give you a quick overview of communication. It is a thought is in your mind. You begin to verbalize words that express what's in your mind. It goes through the environment, is heard in the ears of someone that you're communicating with, and then it goes to their mind and they process what they just told you. In the midst, it's what we have this uh, environment that we're in. Sometimes it's a loud environment. Sometimes it's a quiet environment. Sometimes you've got all kinds of distractions that, that remind people. And not to mention the fact that a good portion of what we're communicating is not even in the choice of our words, but in how we say it. We call it body language. Now, I gave you that quick little commercial about the art of communication because I want you to understand one very powerful, important distinction for the Christian. 
And that is in the world when we communicate, it's easy to understand while we misunderstand one another. We might hear a set of words, and those words may even be different than the words that the person's saying to them has said. Like, for example, with me and my wife. I know this never happens in your home, but she said something the other day, and I said, I'm not fat. And she says, I didn't say you were fat. I don't know what the word was, but I remember her telling me she was fat. Not she was fat, I was fat. But anyway, that would have really been bad. Is this being recorded? Oh, praise the Lord. But anyway, so she said that, and I said, I'm not fat. She said, I didn't say that. Isn't it funny how we hear something that somebody says, but it's not what they said, or we heard something different than what they said. Well, we have one very powerful thing in the Christian life that we depend on every day. It's called the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit will be in the life of the person who's trying to choose the word, like today, that I'm trying to describe to you. But also the Holy Spirit's at work in your life right now, communicating to you the message that He has for you. So there might be one sermon, but there are literally tens and hundreds of different interpretations of that one sermon because the Holy Spirit is at work. When we think about making disciples, here's one very important distinction. We don't make disciples. God does. God's Spirit that indwells us accomplishes His purpose for His glory through us. I think sometimes we forget that when Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, that we think it's all inherently the responsibility is ours. And that if I fail, it's my fault. Well, now, if you don't do it, it's your fault. (laughs) But God is the one who accomplishes His purpose of making disciples. We don't do that. So when the command comes up, when He talks about go and make disciples, we need to clearly understand that Jesus is giving the privilege of being along for the journey because it is He who makes the disciples, but He's allowing us to be a part of it. All He wants us to do is to be obedient and faithful to do what He's asked us to do. And He can even take our lousy excuse of a life and accomplish great things for the glory of God. I remember the very first time I had the privilege by myself, I was going to, 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 to uh, visit a home that I knew one of the teenagers, I was a youth minister, this is years ago, and so I went to visit this home, I, I knew this person was not familiar with church. We'd already had a conversation, so I was intending to share the gospel. Most of the time, I'd always gone with somebody else who was always there to help me, you know? And so I remember the first time I did this by myself. And I'll be honest with you, I butchered it. You know, at at the end of it, I'm literally, I'm, I'm just going point to point, and all my points don't make sense. I quoted the wrong verses, and I just messed up royally. And at the end, I literally said, does what I have shared with you make sense? Which was probably the only question from my training that I remembered. And to my surprise, she said, yes. And then I even surprised myself. I said, well, you wouldn't want to get saved, would you? (laughs) Now, she didn't pray to receive Christ then. So I'm not going to tell a false story. But the truth of it is, I walked away being amazed that the Holy Spirit could communicate into the life of somebody else the truth that I had no idea what I was saying. Let me make that even 
one point further. In July, I had the privilege of traveling to Montes Claros, Brazil, and I shared the gospel, I don't know, over 100 times with lots of different people. I know specifically we visited 24 homes, and in each of those homes, there were about three or four people on average. Sometimes it was less, sometimes it was more. And I had the privilege of leading 50 people in a prayer to receive Christ that week. That's great, right? Now, I don't know how many of those are actually prayers to receive Christ. I'm not sure. Because sometimes down in other countries, they'll do things where you ask them, would you like to receive Christ? They go, yeah. You know, I don't know if it's a spiritual decision. I, I, I know and I believe that some of them genuinely were. But this I do know. My job is not to save someone. That's God's. My job is to tell people the good news. But see, in making disciples, telling people the story of Jesus and how he can change their lives is only one small part of making disciples. I, I, uh, in our Sunday school hour, I mentioned the, the, the emphasis that our convention is doing called Who's Your One? And here's my challenge. A lot of times when we're talking about evangelism, People talk about, well, I need to make sure I identify this person and pray for them and encourage them and invite them and do all these things so that I can get them saved. Well, number one, we don't save them. God does that. Okay? But that's our objective. And then when they get saved, we go, that's great, man. We're so proud of you. Good luck. That's not making disciples. So when you identify your one, it's more than just praying for them and interceding for them and encouraging them and investing in them and giving them the opportunity to accept Christ and to invite them to church. It's more than that. Now you got to, once they make a profession of faith, you got to help them know, hey, listen, do you have a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, I'd like to get you a Bible and I'd like to show you how to read God's Word. It'll change your life. Not only that, I want to I talk to you about baptism and why we do baptism in our church. Not only that, I want, to, I want to talk to you about how to pray. Hey, I want to also encourage you to be a part of a small group or a Sunday school class. You know what? I also want to encourage you to think about who's your one. Why is that important? Because, see, when we're making disciples, folks, the Bible tells us it's not a destination, it's a journey. It's not a destination getting someone saved. It's a journey. It's about helping someone in those different periods of their life as they make a profession of faith, as they begin to grow in their faith, as they begin to discover how, how God can teach them and use them and, and glorify Himself through them. It's important that we understand that. This final request that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, verse 19, indicated the importance and the value of making disciples. It indicated the completion of everything that Jesus had taught them and had trained them to do. He spent three years with these numbskulls. Now these were not the best of the best of the best. Do you understand the discipleship process? The rabbis would look for the best of the best of the best and they would get them to come and follow them so that they could learn to be rabbis. That was the rabbinical process. And it took years and years before a rabbi would say, Okay, you're ready. No, who does Jesus go after? He goes after fishermen. He goes after tax collectors. He goes after people like, well, you and me. Normal, everyday people, not the, 
fancy-schmancy people of life, the people who are talented and skilled. He goes after everyday people like you and me. Because, see, whenever we empty ourselves and allow God to fill us, He accomplishes through us what we could not do on our own. A disciple or follower of Christ should always be about the business of making disciples. There are three reasons why I believe you and I should be a part of the business of sharing and making disciples. The first reason is because that's what Jesus did. Matthew 4.19 reminds us that Jesus called the disciples, He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's a long tradition of the things that when Jesus mentioned that to them, here were the people, this is what they were hearing. But wait, 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 wait. I, I, I didn't make it past first grade in rabbinical school. Jesus, you must be calling the run, wrong person. No, he just says, hey, I want you to come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. What's amazing is what happened as a result of that call. They dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. Whatever it is they were doing, they stopped and they started following Jesus. Now listen, I'm not asking you to make disciples that you're going to ask them to stop what they're doing and come follow you. No, I want you to go on a journey with them. I want you to interact with them. I want you to engage them. I want you to challenge them. I want you to love them. Pray for them. That's what it means to make disciples because that's exactly what Jesus did for three years with these people. And at the end of those three years, He says, go and do likewise. He says, go and make disciples. That's what He asked them to do. The very first reason why we should be disciple makers is because that's what Jesus did. The second reason we need to make disciples is because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. I think way too often, this is my personal opinion, please hear me when I say this, my personal opinion, we put too much emphasis on the word go in that phrase, go and make disciples, when the imperative is actually in the word make. It's not a suggestion. Jesus is telling those of His followers that commissions even to us today the fact that He wants us to go and make disciples. The imperative is, it's not a suggestion, people. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're supposed to make disciples. As someone has discipled you, has loved you and encouraged you, has equipped you, has trained you, developed you, loved you, empowered you, you're supposed to go and do the same. Now, I'll be honest with you. My story is not the same as everybody else's story. But as I shared earlier, I became a Christian. I became a follower of Jesus Christ when I was 19 years of age. It still amazes me that two years after I was baptized, they asked me to be their youth minister for the summer. And then they hired me on as part-time, and that began the journey of my deciding to go into ministry. But folks, they didn't just look at me one day and say, Hey, what about Sean? He could do that. No, it's... People had invested in me. People had encouraged me. They loved me. They taught me. They trained me. They, they did all these wonderful things to try to develop me, and they saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself at the time. And there are people all around you. If you're a Sunday school teacher, God has called you to make disciples. If you're a deacon, God has called you to make disciples. If you're a woman's ministry leader... 
God has called you to make disciples. If you're a children's leader, if you're a youth leader, God has called you to make disciples. But if you're in the pew right now and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, either you should be making disciples or God is preparing you to make disciples. And we don't just make disciples, we make disciples who make disciples. That's our objective. That's what we're supposed to do. So we should make disciples, number one, because that's what Jesus did, number two, because Jesus has commanded us to do it. But number three, we make disciples because that was the pattern of every disciple before us. 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, The things I have taught you in front of many witnesses entrust to reliable men so that they might teach others also. It's the law of multiplication. Do you realize that this church exists because of generations who've come before you? You know that, right? This means yes. This means no. Generations of people before you have worked hard and labored to bring this church to its present and current reality. Now my question is to you, what are you going to pass on to the next generation? And you better be thinking about it because there's... We're losing the war. We're losing the battle. We're not reaching the next generation like the other generations have reached us. We need to be paying attention because we're passing off a legacy in our church and in our lives onto our children, our grandchildren, and to our great-grandchildren. And not just that, but even that in the sense of a church, this church is passing on to the next generation our their future church of what is going to be their reality that they'll pass on to others. And the time is so sweet and so little, so precious. We need to be doing what others have done for us. Now, I hope I've convinced you that God has challenged you, number one, to make disciples because that's what He did. But not only that, He's commanded us to do that, and that has been the pattern of every disciple since, to make disciples. And so now it's incumbent upon you today to think about one very important thing. God, how are you going to use me to make disciples? You say, but I'm not a teacher. You don't have to be a teacher to make disciples. Well, I'm not a leader. You don't have to be a leader to make disciples. But I'm not a pastor. You don't have to be a pastor to make disciples. The Bible is clear. Listen, this Bible was not written for preachers. This Bible was written for us. Every single one of us. You know, I love the fact that when you think about the story about Paul and Timothy, Timothy was mentored by Paul. But Paul wrote a lot of letters to Timothy because he wanted to encourage him. Because, see, Paul discipled Timothy and he encouraged him. And he had this great love and affection for Timothy because he wanted to make sure that Timothy was a generation he could pass off to that would continue to have impact on the future generations. And he he was concerned about everything that he went through, every trial, every tribulation, every circumstance. He sent him letters about what to do with all those false teachers in his church, what to do when people do this, when people do that. He sent him all these letters to encourage him, to train him, to equip him, to prepare him to make disciples. And we think sometimes we look at Timothy and we say, oh, but he's a preacher. That's not me. Listen, Timothy's only a preacher because that's what God called him to do. And God has called you to do something. It may not be to be a preacher, but God has called you to make disciples. 
those same passages, we think it relates only to preachers. No, it doesn't. It relates to every one of us. Because the reality is we're all called to make disciples. And if I've not convinced you yet of why we're supposed to make disciples, maybe you should go start reading your Bible. Because that's where I got it. <laughs> now I want to give us an example to follow. Because here's, here's where the rubber hits the road. We can talk all day about what we should do and why we should do it, but if we ain't doing it, it ain't going to make a difference. Because, see, I believe that today's church has an opportunity that's greater than it's ever been before. Because I think we have more resources, more tools, more things to equip us and to lead us and to help us to do these things than we've ever had before. Listen, folks. You don't have to get people to come to church to know how to get saved. You can use an app for that. You can get you, you can you can hear sermons all week long. I, when I'm, I, I got I got there's about two or three preachers that I love to listen to during the week. That when I'm driving, I, I'll I'll, I'll they, they're all recorded on an app, and I just play the little podcast and I just listen to their sermons. And I love them. I, I steal some really good sermons from. Them. But folks, the reality is, if you're not convinced, I can't convince you, but God can. But let's look at this passage in chapter verses 40, chapter 2 of Acts, verses 41 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. So those who accept His message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Stop right there. Always have to stop there because there's a reality, folks, that we miss. Why doesn't that happen today? Could it? Yes. We've actually seen it in our recent past, a lot of Billy Graham crusades. We used to see thousands of people who would come forward and make professions of faith, and they were always followed up with. Or at least the plan was. Folks, I don't understand why we don't think that could happen. What would happen in First Baptist Church, Broussard, if 3,000 people showed up next Sunday? Would you be ready? I know you would. You know how I know that? Because you're not expecting it. Okay, let's just be good. Let's just be practical people. What would happen if 50 more people showed up, first-time people, never been here before, and they want to know, how can I get saved? Is there going to be a line waiting to talk to the pastor, or are there enough of you that know how to share the gospel that you could share it with them? What would you do with them? Would you start some new Sunday school classes? You got some teachers that are ready to start teaching? Would you make sure that you went out of your way to make them feel comfortable and that if they sat in your pew, you'd be okay with that? I'm just going to be honest with you, folks. I think for a lot of us, we have no idea what's going to happen if God really starts to bless this church. But folks, if you're not planning for that, you're not preparing for what God wants to bring. And there, uh, one of those movies that was done by um, the church in Albany, Georgia, I can't remember the name of it, Sherwood Baptist Church, one of those movies, he was talking about uh, the football one. What was the name of that one? Face of the Giants. And this guy would show up every day, and he would be praying out for the lockers. And he, you know, the, the, the students of every one of those students, he, he'd come and he'd pray. And he'd say, what are you praying for? And he says, well, I'm praying for a harvest. I'm praying for a harvest. And he said, what well, specific? He says, I'm praying for, for rain. 
He said, well, what do you mean? He says, I'm praying that God will just pour out his harvest. He says, the reality is, I'm ready for God to do something. And when it rains, I'm going to be ready. And guess what it did in that movie? It talks about the story of how so many people came to, came to know Christ because God brought revival to that school. Do you know that there have been lots of these instances all over the country, these little spots where people began to respond to the gospel, God began to move, and the church wasn't ready. Because we just show up and we just kind of expect, all right, preacher, do your thing. All right, music, y'all do your thing. Hey, that was a great service today. Let's go get some lunch. Why aren't we expecting God to do something great? See, that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. They had been praying in the upper room, and when they came out, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to preach. And guess what happened? 3,000 people that day were added. So it's important for us to remember that. Second, let's go on verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common, and they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. And they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Jesus, I want to, I want to encounter that. I want to experience that. I want to be a part of that. That's what I want to see happen. There ought to be a certain sense of awe in our heart that God wants to do great and mighty things parable of the talents we talked about earlier, it amazes me, too often today, we're not willing to take the risk that's necessary to see God do something incredible. Because we're so content with using our abilities and our talents to do God's work that we only see what we can accomplish. What would happen if we availed ourselves and become faithful to God and obedient to do what He asked us to do, and then watch God do incredible, powerful, mighty things for His kingdom. What would happen? This would be an awesome opportunity for us to experience the grace and power of God if we would just ask God to use us to accomplish His plan for His glory. There were five things that happened in that passage. I just want to iterate, and then I'll come back to three major points that I want to talk about, and I'll close. First of all, the gospel was preached. You know, I, I need to remind each of us that it is always, always our responsibility to tell others about Jesus. How God's story has changed and impacted our story, and how God's story can impact their story, too. We have to help people to know that God loves them and God has a wonderful plan for their life and He wants to have a relationship with them. Just like somebody asked me when I was 19, Sean, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And my answer was, I'm Catholic. 
And he goes, no, I didn't ask you what church you went to. I asked you if you had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I said again, I'm Catholic. And he goes, Sean, he says, I'm not asking you what religion you're a part of. I'm asking you to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I said, I have no other answer. I don't know. And it was then that I began to understand that God loved me and had a plan for my life, that He wanted to change me. See, when I was confirmed as a young boy, I prayed a prayer that was something like asking Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, but it was not a prayer I was wanting to pray or that I felt God had asked me to pray. It was something I was told by the teacher of that class that I was supposed to pray. That doesn't save people. Prayers don't save people. Jesus does. But folks, the gospel was presented clearly that day to those people and a miraculous thing happened. People got saved. If you'll just be obedient, if you'll just be faithful, if you'll just allow God to use you, He'll work through you. The Holy Spirit will use you to tell someone and they'll respond to the gospel. If not now, maybe later. But our responsibility is to be faithful to tell people the good news. The second thing that happened that biblical community Happened. Did you notice that they began to have fellowship and they broke bread together? Oh, Baptists, we like to eat together. But do you know that the greatest part about that is not the actual food we have and we consume. It's about being there with people that we know love us and care about us. Do you know that there are people literally in this community right now who would love to know that somebody cared about them? And God has given you a love that's greater than He can, even can benefit you. He's given you a love that He wants you to share with others. Not only was the gospel preached and biblical community happened, but they began to grow. It says they were taught the Scriptures daily. And as God's Word began to consume them and convict them and to challenge them, their lives began to be transformed. They were changed. This is why I said earlier, we should be reading our Bible every day. Because then we're allowing God to speak into our heart truth that can change us. The truth shall set you free. And we need that every day. And they were being taught and they were being encouraged and, and they were, they were, they were uh, being challenged and inspired. And fourthly, they were being challenged to serve as everyone had need. Think about this. When was the last time you did something for somebody else with the expectation of nothing in return. When was the last time you did a, a, a something for someone in the name of ministry, in the name of the lead, of Lord Jesus Christ, just because God asked you to do it, not because you were expecting anything in return? My favorite story, this is a few years back. There have been several things that have happened, but this is the best story I got. This man was sitting there, and he, as I walked by, he asked me, do you have any money for some food? Now, I'm like you. There's a lot of people that take that money and go in there and buy alcohol. I know what they're doing with it. But somebody convicted me, a friend of mine, just before this, had convicted me and says, is it your responsibility for what they do with the money? Or is it your responsibility to be obedient to God if He tells you to give them money? And I said, oh, uh-oh, conviction. So I saw this man, and that was on my heart, and I feel like God wanted me to do something. So what I do, I said, sir, do you mind following me right over here? We're going to go to McDonald's. 
and I'll buy you anything you want on that menu. All he wanted was a cheeseburger and a drink. So I bought him a cheeseburger and a drink. And the tears just rolling down his face, he said, thank you. He says, I was so hungry. But he knew he couldn't eat too much because if he ate, he got, ate too much, he would get sick. So he got just what he needed, and it met his need. And I felt like this just fell over me when I realized God had had me at the right place at the right time to do the right thing, and I was obedient, and the joy was mine because God used me to accomplish something through my life that I could have never done by life, my own. You understand that? That's what it means. We're, we're not just Christians one day a week. We're Christians 24-7. And they began to live that out. As, they, as anyone has had need, they began to gather up their things and began to meet these needs as anybody had need. And they met those needs. And lastly, they worshiped. You see, here's the thing that bothers me is too often we're really good about thanking people and praising people when they do some things when we should be giving God the glory, not a person. We should thank people for being a part and being obedient, we should encourage people and love people to do that. But the fact is, folks, if God does something, He's the one that should be getting the glory. And that's what happened. Do you see the, the value of these wonderful things that were happening in their lives because they were being obedient, because they were sharing their faith, because they were being taught. They had fellowship with one another and they were living out the, their faith when they were responding to needs and they were, they were worshiping God together. And all of a sudden, when that began to happen, that community began to spill out and people stood in the community started saying, hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Tell me, how can I be saved? How can I be a part of that group? How can I be a part of that community? Listen, folks. Sometimes we think that just because people can see our sign, if they're ready to come to church, they'll come. No. What they're waiting for is for somebody to invite them and to bring them to something where God is already working. And you know where it starts? It starts right here with me. It starts right here with you. So... A healthy church teaches and preaches and shares the gospel with lost people. Why? Because people need to know that God loves them and that we care enough to share the gospel with them. We also know that a healthy church experiences and expresses a life of true biblical fellowship because the Bible says this in John thirteen thirty five: By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This community knows whether or not this church loves one another. And if we are loving one another, then the community will know that you're His disciples. A healthy church teaches, equips, and trains its members in how to grow in their faith. They're engaged in God's Word. They're reading God's Word. They're being taught God's Word. They're living out God's Word. These are things that we should be doing because not only do people in this community need to know that they are loved, but they need to know that they can belong here and that we're going to teach them. We're going to help equip them to know how to follow Christ and His, His teachings. A healthy church practices, prepares, and plans for opportunities for our members to be Christ in our community. See, people need to be a part of something. People need to be a part of something that's making a difference. 
working together to accomplish something. There's an intentionality embedded in this thought that that church and that community in Acts chapter 2 began to express what was happening in their lives as they worshiped together and as they encouraged one another, as they taught one another, as they prayed, and then it began to infuse in their lives as they walked and as they did life throughout the week, and all of a sudden people began to see, hey, I want to be a part of that so that I can live my life like this. I want to be a part of something that's going to make a difference in this world. I don't want to just go to a church just to be there. I want to be a part of church that's doing something for the kingdom of God. Not just out there, you know, showing up for different things and doing all this stuff. I'm talking about the church. It's everywhere we go. Not looking for specific things that we're doing, but every, every member, every believer out there and everything they do when they're at work, at school, at wherever they are, at the grocery store or wherever, they're beginning to live out the facets of their faith and people are beginning to see there's something different about those people. I want to be a part of that. A healthy church regularly, on a personal and corporate level, worships God. It is God who created us. It is God who leads us. It's God who teaches us. It is God who works in us to accomplish His purpose for His glory. There's an um, analogy I want to close with, an illustration. When a psychologist is, or a psychiatrist is seeing someone who's depressed, one of the common things that they try to do is they begin to help a person or an individual begin to describe something that they enjoy doing. Because depression is a spiral, uh, spiraling thing. It, it's a kind of thing, it's one of those things where my life is the pits and everything's going down. And as they begin to self-feed their problem, they spiral further and further down. And so one of the things a psychiatrist will do, tell me what is one of the things that you love to do. And he said, well, I, 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 I used to love to bowl. That's not for me, by the way. I'm just using that for somebody else. And the guy said, well, great. How about, how about getting two or three of your friends and go bowl? I don't, they don't talk to me anymore. Who is the one person in your life that you would, that would just drop everything to be there for you? And the guy said, well, it'd be my childhood friend, my best buddy. He would, you know, he's mad at me right now, but if I asked him to do it, he'd do it. He said, great. He said, I want you this week, I want you to go and I want you to invite your buddy and I want you all to go bowling this week. Are you going to go bowling this week? Yes, sir, I'm going to go bowling this week. Are you going to invite your friend to go bowling with you? He said, yes, sir, I'm going to go invite my friend to go bowling with me. And they went bowling. The next week he sees the guy and he said, how'd it go? He says, well, it was okay. You know, we kind of got into it. And, uh, and I said, he said, really? Well, what was that all about? And he says, well, he, he was fussing at me. And I got tired of listening to it, so I left. He says, all right. He says, well, I want you to do this next week. He said, I want you to, I want you to invite your friend, and I want you all to go bowling again. He goes, well, he's probably not going to go bowling with me because uh, well, I made him mad, you know. He says, don't. Call him up. Go bowling. This went on for about four weeks. And the guy walked into his office, psychiatrist's office one day, and he says, Man, i got to tell you, this is the best week of my life. He says, why? He says, my, my best friend and I, we had the best time of our lives, and we laughed. We were up till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning just talking and just laughing and telling stories. He says, that's great. He says, so what do I do next week? He says, I want you to invite two more friends. Come back the next week and the next two, two weeks, and all of a sudden they've started 
a bowling club, a bowling league. And they're having fun every, you know, at least once a week they're all out there. And it's not a league to, to challenge one another because they began to do it. Now here's a person that was depressed and all this psychiatrist said was, what we need to do is it's difficult for you to act your way, I mean, for, to feel your way into a new way of acting because you don't feel like doing it, but I got you to do it by asking you to make a commitment to do it, and you did it. And after a while, your feelings changed. He was no longer depressed. Six weeks later, they've got this bowling league going. They're having a ton of fun, and he's not depressed because he began to act his way into a new way of feeling instead of trying to feel his way into a new way of acting. Let me tell you why that's important. Right now, you're sitting in your pew and going, all this stuff he's talking about is great. I'd love to see that, but I just don't know if I can do that. Then would you promise me something? Just try it. I'm going to challenge you like I did in our Sunday school hour with these three thoughts. And that is this. Who's that person that God has placed in your life that's not going to church anywhere, maybe does, maybe doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior, would you just identify that person, start praying for that person, and invite them to be here next week? A friend, a relative, associate, a neighbor, friend, invite them to be here. Who's your one? Secondly, this whole week, I want you to promise me that you'll read your Bible every day, or at least try. Life happens. Trust me, Satan doesn't want you to do any of these things I'm asking you to do. But just try every day. This week, even if it's just a few verses, would you promise me that I'll read my Bible every day this week? You know what's great is if you do it this week, it's a lot easier to do it the next week. And if you do it the next week, guess what? It's a lot easier to do it the next week. Who's your one? Read your Bible every day. And third, would you begin to ask God, God, how do you want to use me? to make a difference in my church and in my community for the glory of God. How do you want to use me to do that? Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? I want to lead you through three questions I'd like to ask you to make a decision about. You're not going to, I'm not going to make you do a public stand, but I do want you to make a public commitment. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you this week would begin to identify and pray for your one that you want to work on, that you want to pray for, that you want to encourage, if you would at least be willing to identify one person, and if you would be willing to pray for that one person and invite them to church next week, would you just keep your head bowed, eyes closed, would you just kind of slip your head up real quick and put it back down? You'll do this. You'll do your one, quickly. All right, if you'd be willing to read your Bible every day this week, would you just slip your head up this week? Real quick. Awesome. And thirdly, if you would pray this prayer this week that I would, that you're going to ask God, God, how can you use me this week in my church and in my community? Would you just ask God that? Would you pray that? Would you ask Him to do that? If you'll do that, just throw your hand up real quick and put it right back down. Thank you. God, you know the heart of every person in this building. And you know what's going on. You know what's happening. You know their stories better than anybody else. But Father, we can't just be content for doing what we've always done and expecting different results. If we want to see you do a mighty work, if we want to begin to see this church thriving, growing, and healthy again, we've got to daily commit ourselves to being focused on people who need to know Jesus, who need to be a part of a church where they can connect and, be, and feel like they're loved and that they belong. 
But not only that, Father, we need to be spending time alone with you every day and allowing your word to speak into our heart truth to inspire us, to challenge us, and convict us that we might begin to match our way with your way, that we become the people that, Father, you desire us to be. And that, Father, also we would always be willing and eager to ask you to use us to find out where we fit, to do our part to be a part of the kingdom work in this church and in our community. Father, help us to discover that. Help us to respond that. These are the commitments that we make today. You saw those hands. You know these hearts. And Father, I pray that you would move. In this time of invitation, Father, if there's anyone who does not know the Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I'd, I pray that he'd come forward and just help us to pray with him and encourage him and help him to understand. Whether it's a he or she or a boy or girl, I pray, Father, that you would just give us this opportunity this morning. If someone just needs prayer, I pray they'll come forward. They're, they're struggling with how do I follow through on this commitment. I pray, Father, that you would just help them to come forward or to ask someone to pray with them at their pew right there in their seats. But, Father, also if there's anybody here that needs to connect with this church and say, I want to be a part of a church that wants to do something for the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that you would lead them to this church so that, Father, you'd begin to enable your people to accomplish more than we can do in our own, but we would avail ourselves to the power of God to accomplish what only God could accomplish, and we would be willing to give you the glory. So, Father, during this time of invitation, whether it's public or private, I pray, Father, that we would move, that we would respond as only you know how to do. So, Father, this is your time. Move in a way that you desire for us to be we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. This is Pastor Moke again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this sermon. Maybe something you've heard of the message or read of the notes has challenged your thinking about your faith. If so, our staff is here to help in whatever way we can. Or if you prefer, check out the Faith Life tab located on our homepage at www.fbcbroussard.com. There you can find answers about salvation, spiritual growth, and getting plugged into a local church. And don't forget to check out the other sermons in this series as well. May God bless you.